Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight we're talking about the Netflix original bisexual Jake Gyllenhaal vehicle about art that kills you, Velvet Buzzsaw. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites deliriously excited to tear into this movie. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Uh... Given a bit of a side eye to all these comic book covers I got in front of me, <laughs> fucking keeping my eye out on all y'all covers, death by variant. I'm not going to be having it. We're so surrounded by violent art. Uh, next up, my co-host, collaborator, comics artist, the person who assures me that she is painted with her own blood, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Feeling a little lightheaded. Uh, <laughs> Might have been... Might have been too much on that last canvas there, but you know what? Just make sure to blast my cash. <laughs> yes, that's the real lesson of this movie. If your friend says blast their cash, you blast their cash. You, you blast that cash. Blast that cash, or <laughs> that cash look, will blast, blast you. You rock the cash and you blast the cash. <laughs> and our special guest tonight, the artist of the upcoming Renegade Rule from Dark Horse Comics and all-around amazing artist, Sam Beck. How are you tonight, Sam? I'm great. Thanks for having me here. Uh, looking forward to a remake of this movie with NFTs in 20 years. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Killer good. NFTs. Oh, shit. Can we trademark that? Can we get started on that right away? Uh, it can't come already enough. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, Sam, non-fungible so... terror. Not all terror, though. I will. Is it too late to change the name of the podcast? Because that's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Can you fungi? TM, 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 TM. <laughs> Sam, uh, thank you so, so much for uh, coming on. It is so exciting to have you here. And uh, it, is, it was the absolute best time making Renegade Rule with you. And I'm so glad we could ha have you on for such an art, art, artsy horror movie. Yeah, this is, this is really the perfect movie to have me on for. <laughs> Yeah, and this is perfect timing as well because uh, the that is uh, coming up. Renegade Rules is coming out very soon, right? Yes, May twenty sixth. It will be out in comic book stores and then June eighth in bookstores everywhere. Nice, awesome. So if you are listening to this, anything but uh, I think you know immediately after it comes out, uh, you can go get it right now. So head out and pick up uh, Renegade Rule by Ben and Sam and Rachel, who is not here. Because she doesn't like scary movies. Yeah. You, I can guarantee you that my artwork won't kill you, but it will make you laugh. No, it will make <laughs> you feel every emotion but terror. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Laughter, excitement, romance. Unless you're terrified by romance, in which unless case. You're, unless I mean... you're terrified by good times and <laughs> friendship. <laughs> uh, so... For all the times I've mentioned it, and the basic rundown of Renegade Rule is uh, 
four queer friends have won a spot in the national championships of Renegade Rule, the hottest VR uh, team shooter game around. And now they need to compete their way to the top against uh, top tier talent while dealing with infighting, romantic distraction, and doubt. Nice. Yeah, and as, as I've mentioned before, I've read it. It's great. I love this book. So you guys should definitely be heading out to check this out. It won't scare you probably, but it will be a good time. Yeah, it is a book that is really meant to be a celebration of friendship and video games. Sounds like all across the board, A+. Plus. Yeah. I haven't read it yet, but I will. I'll, be, I'll have read it by now. How about that? <laughs> it's a time travel deal hell yeah no jumping into our movie tonight uh which is a good time but is definitely not about friendship um a little bit about this movie before we start velvet buzzsaw is directed and written by dan gilroy who's uh the co-writer of free check which we've already talked about somehow uh wrote uh kong skull island real steel born legacy and this is a writer and director of Roman J. Israel and Nightcrawler, which also stars Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and Rene Russo. Yeah. And, and is uh, amazing. Another great film you should really see. And another absolutely stellar Jake Gyllenhaal performance. I think it might be the point where he just gave up on any kind of traditional leading man role. and was just like, I just only want to play absolute weirdos from now on forever. Bless yeah, because I think the- uh, Nightcrawler got him nominated for a lot of awards. Yeah. And after that, he was just like, all right, let's do this instead. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that's more fun. That same Oscar award nominated, like, psychopath villain energy is the same goddamn level of energy he brings to John Mulaney's children's musical. Like, <laughs> 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 he is at 11 at all times and he is at a 12 in this movie and the world is a better place for it yeah and this this is an incredible cast putting out incredible performances we've got like we said jake gyllenhaal renee russo tony collette zoe austin uh john malkovich david diggs tom sturridge natalia dyer all of whom are like really fantastic in this movie this movie is full of hateable people putting up great performances and amazing quotes this movie, I feel like, definitely got to the point of scary, scary, but it's almost, but it's very much that classic. These characters are just such delightful shits that you can't help but just like feel like you're on a roller coaster when you get to their death scenes. Oh yeah, well this this whole film is very on point when it comes to the uh, the fine art. I mean, it. it Certain elements are parody, certainly, but it's just such schadenfreude to watch all these people just like struggle it's over a, their own, what's the word I'm looking for? Hubris. Bullshit. Yes. Any, any yeah. of those. Uh, yeah. So the what it's about is uh, it's about a whole group of people in sort of the LA art scene. This up and coming art seller stumbles across all these paintings uh, in her, her dead neighbor's apartment. Uh, they're yeah. supposed to be thrown away. She ignores his wishes to have them destroyed and decides to take them and exhibit them in the gallery. Um, and soon after the gallery opening, uh, this group of people, including a famous critic who's played by uh, Hall, and a number of local artists and collectors and, and various people in the art community 
start start turning up dead and uh, getting killed horribly by a number of different uh, arts. It, it should be noted that the names in this movie are incredible. Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal plays Morf Vanderwalt. Renee Russo as Redora Hayes. We've got Tom Sturridge as John Don Don. John Don Don. They're they're all fantastic. That great like art name Vetral Dees. Yeah. Josephina oh, yeah. Redora Gretchen Damrich. I will say, given how she's introduced and her There's... role in driving the story forward, slight spoilers. Was anyone else kind of expecting Josephina to be? Like the audience surrogate POV character, and then she turned out to be the worst. Yeah, that's what I expected yeah. when I first saw the movie. Also, <laughs> I mean, delight again, like all the other characters, like delightfully the worst. But mm-hmm. I was expecting her to be. I think I was expecting a little more, kind of what ended up being Coco's role. I mean, we'll we'll get into this more as we go in, but I think in a lot of cases, uh, hers most strongly the. Th- Thing that these people get wrong about or put stock in about the art world is often the thing that kills them in, in, in her case in particular now just to put it out there scare level wise where would you guys put this spoopy as in not scary spooky as in a little scary terrifying as in very scary or just generally existentially disconcerting I would between spooky and existentially disconcerting. I wasn't terrified so much as existentially disconcerted by the accuracy of all these toxic ass people trying to, and, and you know, some of them a little bit more upfront than others about them trying to manufacture perception as they said in the film. And, you know, there was some spooky stuff, spooky imagery and things like that. Um, I would for me, I would definitely put mostly like scary. I didn't feel terrified, but when it really got to the big scare moments, I was definitely like engaged in like, this is good horror. This is well done, well directed, like nailing it. I am engaged with this horror. Uh, I will say there's one moment of John Malkovich and David Diggs that as a creator was, <laughs> oh, yes. I don't know if existentially terrifying is the right word, but came for the jugular there's several moments in this that that as a as a creator you're watching it and you can tell that the person on the other side of this movie is also an artist and a creator because there's several moments where you're just like fuck you okay fine yeah (laughs) read me fine okay i do think this movie is disturbing like this when they get to the horror stuff that's the word stuff are the kind of images that like stick with you that's the word. It's, distur- it's not terrifying so much as it's disturbing. That's the word. Yeah, because it's it's like it won't necessarily get your pulse pounding, but you will f- be thinking about it at three in the morning. You know, it, it's Hobo that kind of thing. Man. Oh, Hobo Man absolutely was in my nightmares. Hobo yeah. Man was cool. I thought I was just like, wow, that's really that's a cool thing to have. I mean, I would be into that, although it's very like San Jose. I know it came out in 2019, but through the power of time travel, I'm surprised it wasn't a Bioshock Infinite villain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, uh, and as far as trigger warnings, there is uh, gaslighting, dismemberment, blood, definitely frightening imagery, and pretentious assholes. Anything else uh, that might trigger people in here, you think? A cl- a classism. Yeah. Quite a bit. We, got dismember- we got dismemberment, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, then yeah, yeah that's, that's the big one. 
All um, right. So uh, with, with that said, let's, uh, let's call that the end of the non-spoilery section and let's jump right into talking about this movie and uh, all, of, all of the insanity therein. Uh, particularly, let's start with this art opening, which we follow Morph into. It's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. He's uh, I love walking that opening. the exhibition. Uh, being an or art not even critic. the opening. I loved just like the intro, like oh, with the animation. Intro. Yeah, that was that great. was gorgeous. Very kind of French uh, influence there. Yeah. Now, Sam, I have a question. <laughs> Did you go to fine art college? Uh, I went to school for graphic design, so not not fine art college. <laughs> this is uh, a bit out of my realm, but yeah. <laughs> But I assume that you've encountered individuals such as these that we see in this film. Oh, this is like every designer I worked with coming out of uh, school. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because <laughs> I went to I went to the fine art program at my local college, um, and there, though, that might be a like the pretentious assholes uh, trigger for a lot of people. If you went through art school and had to deal with, or like went through any sort of um, uh, program with uh, aesthetics involved uh, with a lot of this kind of critique and people just quantifying um, perception, mm-hmm. you know, quantifying taste. This is this movie really, really nails that and just highlights the the sheer like grossness of it. Oh, totally. I think I think for me, maybe I had I didn't have a very traumatizing experience in school, but like I found this movie hilarious. Like I was writing notes for it, and I have so many that are just like the quotes that the characters are saying. Like I, this is the second time I've seen this movie, and it was very funny to me. I love it. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. I was I was writing down a lot of the quotes of these of like these art. Um, the art critics and and uh buyers and everything and how they're like mm-hmm. talking about the art during sex or yeah. something like that where they're um <clears throat> their foreplay you know they're they're doing some crazy foreplay or like having sex in front of the painting and they're talking about the colors and how well that they uh part of his foreplay is describing in very specific detail which like hexadecimal code color shade her skin is yeah uh yeah which was oh (laughs) so jake gyllenhaal morph is an art critic and he is incorrigible yeah he's he's the tastemaker of of this this uh art exhibit and Everybody is sort of like, as he walks through here, everybody is talking to him, sucking up to him, trying to get a feel on what he's feeling about anything. Uh, I do love that, you know, there are people like Rodora that like he he feels like he sinks with. Uh, there are people that he talks to. And then there's this one guy who runs the museum who like keeps walking up to him and saying, oh, hi, Morph. And he will not fucking acknowledge this guy like three or four times in the movie. This guy walks up to him and just like, just says hi. And Morph just like acts like he's not there. Gyllenhaal in this movie is just fantastic. Yeah, he does a great person. I like it just, I like it just think it was like 
Thank God. Like, you can never do the drinking game of drink every time Jake Gyllenhaal touches his face. <laughs> you would be dead. Yeah. I feel like there are two types of characters in this. There are the people who are good, who are like good people, and then there are the characters that are great. Because like, <laughs> only like, two, like three good people in this, and everybody else is horrible but great. I I, I do want to run through like we've talked a little bit about the various characters. Uh, who who is everybody's favorite in this movie? I mean, anytime John Malkovich is anywhere. I'm going to be Rory. You know, I know he's going to be John Malkovich and he was extremely John Malkovich. He was but also I'm always it, happy to see him. Yeah. I mean, he was he's not um, a frontliner in this film, but he is very John Malkovich and he is also incredibly like to a T old white artist, like old white fine artist is trying to like stay relevant or just stay inspired uh, in the art world, you know after years and years and years of this of of the uh um the, the old horror show that is the uh, the art market the fine art market i feel like jake gyllenhaal is like the obvious like this is an actor flexing and giving a big flamboyant role you can't look away from but i feel like there's something almost like more challenging with the level of intensity that in renee russo's role and how much he brings. Like, I feel like if Gyllenhaal is like the obvious like draw, then Rene Russo's performance is this movie's secret weapon. Yeah. 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 Redora, Rene Russo's character, is easily my favorite. Um, like, there's a lot of, everybody's got a lot of good lines. She's got my favorite one, though, which because she is just so like above it all. <laughs> and she's uh, always got, you know, machinations and plans and, and other other things in mind she's you know even the people who think that uh you know they're on the same level as her you know two or three steps ahead of them and she's one of the few people who who seems to actually figure out what's going on in this movie and take some sort of step to survive it she is she can be machiavellian um i did i did love her i think thinking back it's hard for me because there's you know, my favorite disaster, I think, is her. My favorite decent person is Coco. She gets a free evil cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, what about you, Sam? Who is your favorite? Um, I mean, like, I think, like, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Morph, is just so funny. Like, there's one line that he, he tells to Josephine that kind of, like, near the climax where they're both freaking out and he just yells at her listen to my intelligent mind and like I died oh, yeah. <laughs> so incredibly funny um, and I think uh, Pierre is also a character that I'm like I vibe with this and he kind of like is trying to figure out like his art shit and just says <laughs> about his studio like this is a slaughterhouse in regard to his ideas I'm like yeah I get it I love that line like this is a slaughterhouse like just that slow reveal of him just like shooting past me like this is it no art <laughs> yeah that that conversation between Hall and Russo towards the end there is the same one that my my favorite line is which is uh where like he is trying to warn her about what's going on and that uh art is literally killing people in this movie and that she says to him all art is dangerous morph I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> she, like she said that. I was like sitting on the edge of my bed and I just like fell over. <laughs> it's just so. That's so like 
that's the line I f- I could write like a high school essay on. The <laughs> line I need a Twitter gif of, of is all my respect for you as a creator has evaporated. Yes. Oh, yes. perfect. <laughs> I love the I'm ensorcelled. I also need a gif of uh, this argument that he has with Gretchen where like Gretchen is trying to get Morph to like slide her some hints of what he's going to review positively and he's like this is my life this is how I connect with some sort of spirituality and she's like I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I, I, he says fuck and just walks off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just yells the word fuck at her and I was like yeah okay yeah I got it oh, I further the realm I analyze I liked when the argument he has with Gretchen after Gretchen blows up her, his relationship with just Josefina. Josefina, who like one phone call is all she needs to end any relationship at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Like, be- we'll believe any rumor you tell her sight unseen. Absolutely. Was it, who was it that said, um, I'm not going to date artists anymore. They're already in a relationship. Can't remember who that was. I think was. that was her. Okay. Oh, whoops. Yeah. But anyway, so we are in this uh, this this opening, oh, I assume. Oh, um, one, one more line that I just quote please. that I just love. Yes. Is Gyllenhaal like, I'm not sure if it's his, like his pitch to Josephine to be in a relationship. I says, we have a taste relationship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's yeah, important. I'd... Yeah, at, at this party here, so or at the opening, the only person who's actually keeping up with Morph uh, is Redora, which is a reason for that we'll find out later. She's sort of the owner and the curator of this museum. Um, we find out she also used to run an underground publication a long time ago called Velvet Buzzsaw with her former partner, Polly, uh, who is gone. Uh, we'll find out where later. Um, and she has a, a buzzsaw tattoo on her neck that says Velvet Buzzsaw on her on the back of her neck um, that'll be important for later on yeah. and she also has a tattoo on her wrist about art and i can't remember what exactly it said i don't remember either this is like, where we introduce all the crazy artwork so what was that saying oh no her tattoo was like no no death in art or like no art without death something very uh bad <laughs> yeah it, it was very punk rock as well because it was all about yeah. how she was punk rock back in the day mm-hmm. So this this there's some banana stuff in this exhibit. It's where we meet Hobo Man. Uh, Hobo Man, an android that talks to you. Now, I haven't seen a lot of art in galleries recently. Um, I haven't seen a lot of androids as art in galleries, but Hobo Man is some this kind of automaton that says things to you like, "Do you ever feel invisible?" And it's basically like. It, it looks like one of the uh, the extra like cast off characters from the background of the movie AI, which were all very cool, <laughs> but this one is especially um, upsetting looking. And I'm not sure if it was somebody in a suit or what. Yeah, um, I, I think sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't because he is, is he's on crutches. He is also a superhero. He has a domino mask, which is why he's Hobo Man. Um, uh, and he is uh, dressed as a, a person who's dealing with homelessness. Um, he is bemoaning Dust Bowl era, like I once built a railroad. Issues. Oh yeah, yeah. So, like, you didn't build shit. 
You, I mean, is it about automation? You probably, you probably supported the Robot Chinese Exclusionary Act, hobo man, you piece of shit robot. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Warriors. I'm like, I built a railroad. The fuck you did? Yeah. You white ass android. <laughs> um, not good android. Unlike aliens, not good artificial person. What was, what do they call him? Artificial person? Yes, Shit. that was that. That was the term Bishop prefers. Yeah, not good representation. He doesn't like. He doesn't like being called the synthesoid. Yeah, synthesoid. Yeah, we also um, we also get to see the sphere here, which um looks like it looks like uh what's that thing in Chicago? The big ball. The bean. The oh, the bean. bean. It looks what's... like the bean, but there's holes in it that you can stick your hands in and feel weird shit. That um, sounds unsanitary. I mean, especially in this day and age, but it's a cross between uh, the bean and that thing that they used to do at like uh, school carnivals where like you stick your hand in and they're like, these are witches eyes. And it's actually like, you know, peel (laughs) grapes. Exploratorian shit. Yeah. This this hole's gooey. This hole's full of sand. Who did the, the person who did the bean is important. I don't think we learned who made. Oh, the bean. I thought, you, the... I thought you were going to say. I, don't th- I was going to say. I don't think we learned who made the sphere. No, uh, the sphere is like. They give the a sphere... name, but it's not a person that appears in the movie. The sphere yeah. clearly made itself. Like that's a totally separate horror movie. Is that the sphere is actually sentient? It's the Gants. Dealing with the Gants here. Like the crazy violent anime. Yeah, and it's a big sphere in it. The sphere is what like tells them to do shit. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's like a big. For a second, I'm like, wait, the architect who made the bean also made Gantz the manga. Wow, that that guy sure did accomplish a lot. Well, he, he the Gantz is a black orb, and the guy who made the bean is the same guy who um, copyrighted Vanta Black or whatever. Um, and I'm looking up Anish Kapoor. Our old friend, Venta Black, our old friends from Attack the Block. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Anish Kapoor did the, um, the bean. Actually, speaking of, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be Venta Black, but uh, I forget where in the movie. It's somewhere in the middle. It's an establishing shot, but to me, it was so beautiful and striking. I actually wrote in my notes. It's the scene of L.A. where L.A. is just entirely shaped out of like gold lights and yes. the sky is absolute blackness there's some gorgeous uh cityscapes of la in this film now the 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 opening uh at the beginning of the film says miami i don't know if it's actually in miami so i think the idea is that the art show is in miami and then everyone flies back to la for the rest of the movie right so um we have very needlessly confusing i don't know why it wasn't just an la art show yeah, I didn't know they had art in Florida, but like the um <laughs> <laughs> I mean they have Hobo Man, which oof, something to unpack there. And then they have the sphere, and then there's some some things with color, and someone says, uh, I'm sick of white spaces, which is, you know, relatable. Um <laughs> for a lot of people. I see um, what you did there. This is me making a, a two thumbs up. Uh, we get a hint about how here's his best days. Uh, are behind him and he was better when he was drinking yes, yes. <laughs> pierce is yeah. uh, john malkovich's character the old the old white artist 
Yeah, he's the one missing... who looks like John Malkovich. I refuse to I refuse <laughs> to describe John Malkovich in any other terms but Malkovichian. He is a singular being. Like there is not there's no other there's no other being out there like John Malkovich. It's why there's the movie being John Malkovich. Yeah, Michelle Gondry was onto something unless that was Steven Soderbergh. I can't remember who did that movie. We Either all way. did. We all made being We were all there for John it. <laughs> oh, we were all John Malkovich. <laughs> We also get an introduction here to Josephina, who's played by Zawe Ashton, uh, who's Redora's assistant at the um, at her art muse- at her showing place, um, the Hayes Gallery. Yeah, the Hayes Gallery. Um, she's having her whole day in life wrecked. She's getting for the record. Hayes not pr- on her. For the record, Hayes not pronounced H A Y E S like it's an old timey boring president. Hayes H A Z E because it's exciting and punk rock. Mm-hmm. And in L.A. And in L- L.A. <laughs> yeah. So she she comes in uh, basically in tears because she's found out her boyfriend is cheating on her. And Morph finds that this is a great opportunity to go ahead and hit on her and to just uh, stick to her like glue for the rest of the night. Um, Mort and her's relationship at the beginning of the movie was so hard to pin down. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I mean, they got drunk and uh, had sex in Germany at some point, but I they were we also were, both in other relationships. I thought we were looking at like Jake Gyllenhaal as like the n- creepy nice guy, and then it started veering in some w- weirder and more unexpected directions. Yeah, like you know when he's coming in for a landing. Yeah. That. that was one hell of a zoom in. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and we also get, um, you know, just a pretty casual reveal that he is queer, that he is a bisexual man. Yeah. So he's dating Ed, um, who is a snack. He is. Um, Ed turns out to we be see abuse. Ed, we see Ed's ass. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ed turns out to be screen time as his face. Ed turns out to be a piece of shit, but that's okay. He has about three lines in the whole movie. He's not even he's important enough to the plot to thing. die. I mean, he's he's could be a piece of shit, but morph. It's also a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I think like if we put them on a scale together, I think things would even out. Um, and Ed may actually come out a little bit lighter in the the shitbag category because Morph is just so like much. The scene when they're when he's at John Don Don's funeral and he can't <laughs> stop critiquing every part of it. It's so, like it's my it's my, maybe my favorite scene in the movie. So we should talk about John Don Don because he is um, at the party trying to poach Pierce, who is Redora's pri- or Redora's former prize artist. Uh, yes, she older. is now has her sights set on uh, a new artist, Dam. Was Dam- it Damrish? Damrish, played by David Diggs, who's also just great in this movie. Yeah, he's he's actually like a relatable guy. David Diggs does a great job. Of staring silently at paintings in this movie, fantastic like, job. He has a that's the most of what he does for a good chunk of this movie is just like be compelled by paintings, but he does it in very interesting in a very interesting way. I don't know how how that is. He has a very good look, like he has a very good intense look. No, I had a thought about Jay about uh, morph and you know queer identity in this movie. 
And I wonder, and it's very likely just me reading into it or just like being overly sensitive or seeing things that aren't there, but this isn't a trope because there isn't been enough bi representation for it to be a trope. But it feels like what we have here of Redora kind of treating Morph as like the bisexual as at man as a love interest is being like the gay best friend who is actually available until she realizes that she needs more proper ma- masculine force and i just wonder if it's the beginnings of some sort of trope as we see more queer representation I- i'm no, probably just point. seeing i'm probably just seeing too much or being no no you're not i think that that's super valid because there is something to be said about when you have i mean there's not like not everybody in this movie is bisexual this is this is just this one character we redora might uh, redora had a partner um we're not sure where redora is it's not really addressed other than the the story about her partner but um jake gyllenhaal's character is very uh flamboyant in a way you know um and can fall into those kind of tropes um especially where- the way josephina treats him through most of their relationship it is it seemed to me to read like a fair shade more than like what you'd see from like the gay best friend trope and i wonder like the actually romantic of the available gay best friend is a trope we might be on our way to seeing as we get more uh bisexual representation in media I think it's hard to say because I I think Josephina as a character has a very peculiar relationship with relationships in that like... Yeah, it could also just be Josephina's the fucking worst and that's all there is to it. Like, again, this might might very well be me just getting, going too deep into it and just seeing a future that is not on the horizon. I think your observation is is really accurate, but I think in this movie, at least Josephina is, like you said, a terrible person and just uses people to get what she wants, which is part of her relationship with uh, Morph. Yeah. 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 Well, I think also she's she's kind of a disaster herself, where she's she just wants to be wanted, she wants to be seen. So she's you know, regardless of uh, how toxic or how healthy or whatever kind of relationship it is, she will go. Uh, with the most ideal thing in the moment without thinking it through yeah i I think the most telling detail of josephina is in that last scene with damrish that she has um where damrish is is telling her that he's you know leaving the museum he's going back to being part of a underground art collective like she says like what is the point of art if nobody sees it um and she's obsessed with this like idea of perception and the idea of of being seen and being considered important and um like that's i that seems to be most of why she's with morph and then that's most of why she's not with morph anymore (laughs) is because morph is more interested in other things um and so you know immediately like (laughs) if it's if the spotlight's not on her she's got to go elsewhere i think you know in just in terms of how much this movie is about art and the artistic experience I think it does speak to a real insecurity and fear. Like, am I spending all this time creating something that no one's going to see? Is there any audience? Am I, is this a waste of time? Like, does this matter if no one's going to see it? But Josephine is also uh, a very corrupted 
messenger of that fear. And it's usually when it comes to like expressing fears and insecurities of the artistic process, the movie is most forgiving uh, when it comes through uh, Pierce or or Damrish. Darmish. It's uh, um, I don't know why I'm having so much trouble pronouncing that. I couldn't um, remember his name for the life of me for a long time because I kept wanting to yeah. call him Dimanche. That's when you uh, call him David. But the movie feels most gentle to the actual artists, <laughs> uh, Malkovich and Diggs in this movie. Yeah, well... <sighs> I think John Malkovich's... I mean, Piers's perspective lines up very closely with the movie, which is like, Piers is already successful. He's already been been seen people know about him he is uh he is well known his concern is with making art and that he thinks everything he's making now is shit like he mm-hmm. can't can't connect with the muse he can't make anything new and good and he is surrounded by these people who are obsessed with monetizing art and he is just wanting to do something different it definitely yeah. feels like Piers at the end is most speaking to this movie's attitude towards art, especially celebrating him creating patterns in a like in the sand on a beach, something that will be washed away with the next tide. Like that is the most impermanent and less monetizable form of art imaginable. So to find joy and celebration and true creation in that I think is definitely emblematic of the movie's attitude towards what art should be. Yeah. I mean there's a the the big undertone is about the how toxic the art market is. Um and how they're they're really like all these things are so subjective. Um and uh they're just like it's just a bunch of people trying to bully their tastes um into the scene from what i've observed a big issue with the uh, like super high uh high-end fine art market yeah i feel like there's this this binary between morph and josephina at the middle of this that josephina is obsessed with being perceived and being seen and morph is is obsessed with perceiving like just seeing something experiencing something new he like he wants something that speaks to him he's very like uh capital c critic like he is oh yeah um you know he's looking for something i love the scene where josephine says you're losing your sight clearly speaking metaphorically about his critique and judgment and he immediately goes to the optometrist to get his vision act. Uh, Morph's obsession with perception stripped down completely to like literal getting his eyes checked um, and being forced to wear quote unquote heinous um, eyewear to protect his face from the, the dilation. We have the uh, old hat uh, art dealers um we have the museum art dealer we have the young up-and-coming art dealer we have the old hat art art dealers ruthless old hat redora's um assistant josephina who's kind of between the space that redora is and coco is now coco is the the more youthful assistant who has just come right out of art school and and uh applied 
you know, come from Michigan and apply from Michigan. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Redora mentions, even says to Josephina, you know, I thought I was grooming a protege. And then we have the critic, we have uh, Morph willingly and yet unwillingly directing everything with his, uh, his critique. Yeah, how do we feel about Morph and his morality? Because he definitely seems to feel pure, like have more pure feelings about art than say like Redora or Gretchen and yet he clearly we like I it seems like his biggest sin isn't unappreciating is it isn't unappreciating art but more that he has this power that he so often just uses irresponsibly and lets himself clearly be manipulated by others yeah he has a I feel like more if there's a feeling that he legitimately cares about art um, and is, is interested in these things, but he has a, a cruelty. He wields his power in a, a very cruel, very blunt way. Um, you know, knowing Redora, that he has the ability to just ruin people's lives. And uh, Redora says, I think at this point, like in this world, he is God mm-hmm. and he, he is a capricious God. Yeah. I mean, he he's he is genuine to himself, but dangerously so. I mean, there's the I'm not sure how much I agree with the movie on this point, but it does at a certain point accuse him of murder by review. That yes. Um, and uh, that is definitely something to be considered um although it's not really a big a huge part of the film but that is something no, no. like yeah. the, the, just showing the kind of effect that he has on the uh the scene not legally like he's not arrested like you wrote a bad re- you bad reviewed him to death yeah and that becomes a legal <laughs> dra- drama which i would yeah. have loved that yeah other other people in the um in the scene have accused him of of driving somebody else to suicide or or um you know, death, death by uh, self-harm, things like that. Um, I think with more of he's, I mean, at least that particular one, he seems very beat up. Like, it seems that his guilt does not come from this man attempted suicide. Yeah. It's that he thought it was actually a good show and he still gave it a bad review. Like, that's where primarily where his guilt seems to be coming from. Yeah, not that a man almost died or almost killed himself, but that he wasn't true to himself. And that's why the man almost killed himself. Uh, Sam, where do you come down on on Morph? Um, Oh, I had a thought that's gone through my brain now. I feel like he's really self-serving in the movie. Like, I think they do make him out to be a bit sympathetic, but like, he cares about art so much that he can't really care about people. That's, that's really what I feel about this character. And I think like you can care about art as much as you want to, but like if you don't care about who's creating it, like then what's the point? I, I think that is in a lot of ways seems like the viewpoint of this movie is that like there's so much emphasis placed on everybody else in the art scene and on the art itself that like there's very little consideration for the actual artists in here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, it seems to be a lot of what the the movie and the you know writer director wants to say about it i don't i could go for a whole spinoff about ben the leader of the art mafia <laughs> He's just threatening people and shaking people down as leader of the art gang. So one thing we haven't talked about yet, we've talked about all these characters and their and their um their relationships. So we haven't talked about the horror, which yeah, begins the central catalyst where, of this movie. The central catalyst where Josephina discovers Bernie Sanders collapsed on her um on the landing in her apartment. Um, fortunately, it's not actually Bernie Sanders. It's uh, Vitral D's. I'm asking um, you once again to burn all of my art. Yes. yes. <laughs> One thing I like the ghost motivations. Like this is a different ghost motivation. Like normally the ghost is like, I'm free time to kill. <laughs> This ghost motivation is I want to be left the fuck alone. And if I have to kill to achieve that, I'm going to do that. But killing is not, it really is the first time we've really had a ghost where the killing wasn't the goal in and of itself. Yeah, and Except it seems for the to have been the case while he was alive, too, because we find out as, as the movie goes on that, like, Mitchell Dees, who's the guy who's dead right here, who is the artist um, of of the paintings that'll be in question for the rest of this, this story. Um, we find out later that he, he did murder his abusive father. Uh, he did kill, or he did also torture that abusive father before he killed him. Uh, that he probably tied a guy's hands and killed him and left him in a field because he was uh, starting shit with him at his job. <laughs> Again, I'm still not sure how that's supposed to damage the standing of like this artist when the idea is like hey we found this posthumous guy who was just so tortured and had the darkest life check out his super dark paintings like oh my gosh (laughs) no i agree like the most unbelievable part of this movie was that anything about this artist would devalue the art i'm like guys he murdered his father and paints his pictures with blood like that was just like, oh my God, if I'm rich enough to be buying this painting, I'm hearing like, he painted his own blood. Fucking, I'm adding another 200K on this, like, just yeah, right off the bat. Yeah, about a non-fungible token. You have biological samples in that shit. Like, oh my God, he, he burned his dad alive? Fuck, that's another 20 grand right there. Yeah, and he's dead. So, like, this is also an incredible story. So yeah, like, um, it's not like he's like, like, oh, we venerate like he's a kind guy. Now we have to cancel him. Like he's dead. They're admitting that he's dead. This is not an art gallery at Bernie's type situation. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. I mean, every any any piece by this guy is an immediate conversation starter. You have people over and you're like, actually, did you know the guy that painted this uh, murdered and, and burned alive his own father uh, who was super abusive? And uh, might have been responsible for a lot of other murders. Was also in a uh, in an insane asylum for ten years where they experimented on him with drugs. Yeah, nobody looks at Van. Nobody looks at a Van Gogh and go like, "Oh, but did you know he cut off his own ear?" And they go like, "Oh, ew, that's weird. I don't want to look at these paintings anymore." Yeah, yeah, and and like his work is very like Francis Bacon, Lucian Freud kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, weird 
portraiture, weird figure painting, very junior year figure painting. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to get on my high horse, I mean, it was okay. Um, some of the paintings I thought were cooler than others. There was like, there's a couple that um, seemed to, like they were actually on canvas and not just cardboard. You know, I painted on cardboard a few times and had blood, but I was in high school. Did you um, combine the cardboard with the blood? Yeah. And, you know, that's not. Oh, shit, that's the full velvet buzzsaw right there. Yeah, the couple of velvet buzzsaw, cardboard blood. I mean, if they named it Cardboard Blood, it would have had more to do with the movie than the actual like Velvet Bus, but we'll get to that. Um, so this dude has canvases and cardboard and like a bunch of shit rolled up in his apartment. And uh, Josephine is like looking around the apartment. And she's like, ooh. And he also has a Persian cat, which is like, that's a lot, but okay. Um, and uh, the cats, there's there's some recurring cat imagery in this. I don't know if it's supposed to be meaningful or, or is this just like these people have cats. But uh, yeah, Josephine is like, ooh, and then she basically, because everything is is set to be destroyed, the artist's last request was to have everything burned, uh, Emily Dickinson style. Uh, Josephina comes in and she's like, cha-ching, but also it, enthralled, ensorcelled, as Morph says, uh, <laughs> by the work. And so she's like, okay, this is going to be my big break. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to really step out in the art scene. And she has some, some, um, uh, a little bit of an adventure with that which we'll get into but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because the there's two scenes with her in her apartment that are a little split up here because she finds the dead guy uh there and then um gets to work and is late because a guy in her apartment died and redora's oh, yeah. like redora's like i thought i was grooming a, a protege like you're i can't believe you're always late bryson the art installer who keeps hitting on you was telling me all about how you're late all the time um, which Bryson, uh, Bryson is the worst. Bryson, Bryson is the, worst is the literal worst. He earns Bryson. dying first. <laughs> yes. You know, he's also an artist, though. Bryson uh, has a very, very funny line where he tells Josephina, I'm not just a man of primitive skill in regards to him being an artist. <laughs> yes. I put the Fruit Loops on the Fruit Loop hippo. I, I, it's on the nose, but I enjoyed him being literally killed by mechanic monkeys by manual labor monkeys the grease monkeys yeah yeah literal grease monkeys in the weird twin peaks fucking uh gas station so twin peaksy yeah you yeah, know he yeah. is so like upset like like everyone in this movie gets obsessed with artist. it but it's like they get obsessed in ways that reflect themselves like Rodori gets extra greedy Morph gets extra in his own, like up the art's own ass. So it's like, I'm going to write a book about it. And like Bryson is like, how can I incorporate my creepy love of this art into my creepy love of hitting on people in the workplace? Yeah. And how can I use it to exploit? And, and da they're, the Damrish and John Malkovich kind of look at it and they're like, <laughs> damn. Bryce. Yeah. That scene. And, okay. Any creator who's been comparing them, who's been reading or looking or just doing, seeing something else in their medium from someone else and just being infuriated that you couldn't or just didn't make this thing that someone else has made. And uh, I've, never, I've never seen it captured. And that scene just yeah, nailed that, it. 
like that scene because like damage is sitting there like smoke vaping and looking at the thing and fucking uh Piers walks up behind him and like literally as he's looking at this as he's looking at this thing they've been making a big deal about how he stopped drinking as he's looking at this he just like reaches over and grabs liquor off of the uh the guy who's walking by with it and starts drinking right then and there and Damrish <laughs> just like gets up and is like damn and walks off yeah gotta I get it gotta go do something it. that was um, me reading the first issue of die i haven't read that i didn't read that this is why i can't read comics a lot because i'm like damn like damn <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna I go. Fu- I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go hit my vape pen and fall off the wagon with John Malkovich. <laughs> yeah. like, hit my vape. This shit. This shit is great. I had that yeah. same. I had that same issue with Gillen and McKelvey reading that uh, second issue of Young Avengers, where they have like the whole like club mapped out that they're in, and fucking Marvel Boy is going through killing people, and they just have like cutaways of him doing it in the different areas. And it was like fuck this is the greatest <laughs> two-page spread i've ever seen in my life i don't know how you come up with this shit but again yeah. that jealousy like they're not punished for that jealousy it only spurns them to be more themselves as artists and to try to find what that this movie wants them to find like again for as terrible as this movie feels about everyone involved in the art industry it's quite kind to artists themselves yeah, and the the um, Vitral Dees uh, character is based, I assume, off of uh, this artist Henry Joseph Darger, who uh, was a janitor at like a hospital. Um, they actually had mentioned in in the movie about how Dees was a, a janitor in a hospital too. So I was like, okay, so this I'm pretty sure this is a Henry Joseph Darger. He was, no one really knew what he was doing, but he was a writer, he's an artist. Look him up. He's got some kind of weird stuff. It's very, very um, influential on the the Vitral D's work, as well as like the Lucian Freud and, and whatnot. But um, I will say, if you're looking up uh, that work, uh, trigger warning, it deals uh, pretty heavily with themes of child abuse. Yeah. So just trigger warning if you're going to look that up. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these artists, Lucian Freud and... and um, Francis Bacon also have very, very upsetting works. So, you know, all this, this artwork now, but um, getting back to Vitral Dees, he is an outsider artist, which is to say that he is not part of a school. He is not part of, even though Morph says he's in the outsider school and it's like, no, that's just not a thing. Like he did, that's why you're an outsider because you don't have a school. Um, School of hard knocks. Yeah. I mean, the school of uh, killing your dad. I don't know. But um, he uh, he being graduated an cum graduated cum laude killed his dad <laughs> valedictorian valedictorian at time people up in a field summa cum patricide oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, oof <laughs> um that's an oof right there exactly one oof. I take so, your roof and I wear it with pride. I thank you. That means a lot to me. Josephina steals all these paintings, takes them back to her place. She is going back and, and cataloging all these things. She carries around a book of them with her, which she shows off to Morph, and Morph loves them immediately, is ensorcelled by them. Uh, also, the art installer 
that that shitty dude uh bryson sees them and um uh, is immediately like really into them in a very intense bro way um sucks <laughs> he yeah. sucks yeah no if billy magnuson i have nothing against you but you're I hate your character in this. I did want to say something about the outsider art before I got derailed. The fact that this, all of this work that everyone is so ensorcelled by is by an outsider says something about the, the art market is just kind of stale and is sort of rehashing the same things over and over again. And, and, you know, all of these artists are trying to struggle to do something new and different. The Vitral D's work convinces them is that, you don't really need to be in the, uh, I mean, he, this guy comes out from completely left field. Like he wasn't, even, he probably wasn't even in art school. In fact, I don't, I think it's, it was established that he, he just did this work by himself. And uh, these professional artists that have been in the scene are now refreshed by this, you know, inspired and, and challenged by it. And uh, all of the dealers around them kind of recognize that so and i think that's important because of what how much everybody obsesses over Deez's work uh, this is also where we finally meet gretchen tony colette's character as we meet her is leaving her position as a museum manager uh because she makes shitty money at it and wants to uh wants to make real money like all the other assholes who are part of this scene so she has decided that she's going to be an art advisor for some rich asshole for his collection she uh, has a line about she got in wanting to change the world with art, but the ultra rich just buy it all up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she's going to she, help them do it and make money. She's going to, she's got a, if you can't beat them, join them attitude. And that would they and them in the tragedy business call a fatal flaw. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Question for you about the artwork, Adisa's work. Is the, effect it has how much people love it is that part of its supernatural effect do you think or is it just that striking and new for these people who are just such locked in a stale mode of thinking i think both a little bit a little bit of column a and column b um i think that the the text is that they are interested in it because it is a um, something new and different. But I think the intensity, the is that subtextual intensity that they're interested in is part of the um, the supernatural quality. What do you think, Sam? Uh, I agree. I think the fact that um, even people like in the museum that aren't necessarily like art buyers or critics are also really uh, into it makes it a bit supernatural to me. Especially you since know, it's be, like beyond cardboard. the supernatural part where it kills people. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> supernaturally good. I'm like, it's fine. But I think everyone else is like, whoa, this is the best shit I've ever seen. I mean, Damrush is Damrush is straight up hypnotized by this. Art. Yeah, exactly. I think part of it is supposed to be that it's not just good; it's like disturbing. Like the implications of a lot of these paintings are that like something horrible is happening a lot of them are painted of a child or from a child's perspective and like they they feel foreboding there is throughout several of these paintings there is a feeling that something really terrible is about to happen uh the one the one of the ones that sticks out uh in my mind particularly i guess two of them there's one that's over josephina's bed which is like 
a whole bunch of people like reaching down towards you, like you're on the ground and there's just a bunch of people over you, you know, reaching down to grab you. And that's, that one's disturbing. And that's maybe the most like disturbing thing that a painting does in this movie, which is where the, the arms come out of that painting. Um, mm-hmm. It was really, uh, really disconcerting. We get then, one of our all-time great chip moments, courtesy of Josephina. <laughs> I was like, God, once people started dying and you started seeing hallucinations and paintings, you got bad at sex. Get better at sex. God, that's yeah, stop that's hallucinating. Fucking problem. Literally. Stop hallucinating and be better at sex. <sighs> Josephina, Definitely. you are a chip. Yeah, woof. Clarence. Yeah, that one's that one's rough. The the other painting that really sticks out to me as being disconcerting is the one uh that is in Redora's house in her bedroom that like they recreate in the story at one point of you know the there's a child with a small dog and there are like two looming shadows that look like you know large people coming toward them and and it it has the it- feeling that something very bad is about to happen to this kid. Did anyone else think that the movie was going to end on that, like on that re- the recreation of that painting? Like, because I just felt so, like, I felt just absolute dread and foreboding. And then once we get to the actual kill, it just felt more like. Like, oh, that was creative. Like, wee, fun horror murder. Uh, Redora has sort of swooped in on Josefina's new cool art and has basically bullied Josefina into being her partner in the uh, the ventral D's. Ventral D's um... There really is something so insidious about non-compete clauses. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where the, non- the non-compete clause comes up. And... Yeah. Uh, and luckily for Josefina, honestly, because then she has, you know, Redora's legal team uh, reviews it and is like, yeah, you can't say that you took it out of his house. You definitely found it in a dumpster and took it out from there. Like, you cannot admit to breaking and entering into a dead man's house to steal all of his art. <laughs> She's yeah, like, okay, of- noted. <laughs> I do love Josefina, like, being in the room with just them and still being like, oh, yeah, no, I remember now. Mm-hmm. yeah. Where they're they're it was in the dumpster, yeah, rewriting the narrative, and um, she just you know like almost like mind control, which is upsetting. Um, and meanwhile, Rococo, aka Coco, who is is um, referred to Redora as Rococo, which I think is hilarious, but also Rococo, you know, aka Nancy Wheeler from Stranger Things. Yes, um, if you if you like me, spent the first hour of the movie going where the fuck do i know this character from oh yeah when i immediately i saw him like you i know you the glasses threw me off um she was clark kenting it yeah it's an effect it's a surprisingly effective disguise she's so cute in the movie too and she's she's so tragic so she gets um basically she is at the bottom rung of this um gallery and you know you see who is being um, kind of shit on the most in this movie by who's carrying the the Starbucks like four pack. Oh my god, so much Starbucks product placement in this movie. Holy yeah, shit. Starbucks and Apple. So I have to ask, how much did Starbucks kick in on the budget? 
I have to know. Who knows? It was 21.2 million. Are we saying over or under 8 million? It came <laughs> from Starbucks. I don't know um, if it would be negative or positive product placement at this point. I think it's just, it's so much part of this lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, so she's, she's being crapped on. Josephine has swooped in and is uh, deciding that she's going to only put out some of this heart and the rest of it is going to mysteriously disappear into a warehouse. Uh, and she hands it off to Bryson to take in his truck up to this warehouse. She makes um, a great fucking point to justify this uh, scarcity. And by great point, I mean the diamond industry is a monstrous fucking sham. Yeah. Where she goes like, if they, I forget which company, but like, uh, if they sold all the, di- yeah, if they sold all the diamonds they have, then they'd be worthless. So, you know, they're, they're manufacturing scarcity. And this guy, I mean, he's got a lot of paintings. Bryson is supposedly not supposed to know what he has in the truck, um, but he cracks one of the things open and pulls out this uh, weird blurry portrait of a, of a guy and uh, looks like in mid motion and uh, is sets that on the the seat next to him and this is the first time i think we see the art really come to life because the face of the guy in the painting turns and looks at him he catches all of his shit on fire <laughs> he's trying to smoke in the car and he gets a very on fire yeah, oh so I, on fire I, I gotta say the kind of like scary art moments that happen are so uh, cheesy and funny. They remind me very much of like an "Are You Afraid of the Dark" episode, where it's like the painting's <laughs> eyes are looking at you. This yes. man turns to me. It was very scary. I love like, when all of them are like that. I love when the paintings look like they're midway between those images from the '90s, where like you'd move your head or shift how you view it, and it'd go from one image to the other. Oh, like uh, the magic eye paintings. Yeah. Well, yeah. This- this he crashes into this like ghost gas station that's off the the highway and like runs into this this uh, garage to like wa- uh, wash off his burns I guess try and cool himself down. Uh, meanwhile, his truck and all the paintings in it catch on fire, um, and he is washing at this sink that has this painting of of uh, grease monkeys fixing a car like literal monkeys fixing a car in it. And it does this thing where not only do the monkeys start to move, but it shifts the perspective to where like you can see depth in the painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was definitely expecting wild. him to get like dragged into the painting like Jumanji style. And then we're just <laughs> going to be in a garage while real monkeys are just beating him to death. I feel like that was partially what happened but um i'm not sure if the painting the weird painting in the in the gas station was supposed to be a d's painting seemed to be i mean i think the implication is that the d's painting brings all art to life yeah yeah that that definitely didn't seem like d's style or how it would get in our ghost (laughs) gas station so also that's a way more powerful curse if it affects all if it can bring all art to life yeah, so the 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 these paintings that, that Comic Con is going to be a fucking bloodbath, <laughs> more so than usual, even. Oh I'm my sorry. god! Well, the the these paintings this this is the first uh, horror moment with the paintings, and this is also the only time that the actual these paintings threaten somebody. Otherwise, it's just they get they make people dead by other art. Basically, mm-hmm. sentences sentences are hard. I'm a visual communicator. But uh, also, what gas station? I know this is the Angeles National Forest or whatever, 
but what gas station has this fucking baboons working on a truck painting look the guy came to la to try to make it in the fine arts industry he was told his work was too kitsch people don't want like monkey paintings they want upside down urinals and dejected he took over the family's like gas station uh but he kept up a little memento of his art dream days and then i guess i don't know he just died it's also like an old-timey 50s garage and like yeah. they say later that it's been closed for years but i guess the uh the someone's paying for the electricity and the water well, I I can't... Can't... sorry go ahead go ahead no i was gonna say i was under the impression that it was his garage or like where he worked out of and like bryson was the one who picked this very like corny looking picture i don't know why that's how i interpreted it but i'm like yeah, this is a painting Bryson would look like. Oh my god, when Bryson says he's an artist, that's what he draws. That's what he paints. That's not bad. I kind of like the baboon truck. Yeah, but he paints the baboon truck. <laughs> I think it. I think it was in the same because that's where his truck was. I think it was in the same gas station, but um, the gas station seemed to come to life when he when he was coming towards it. Like yeah, he got caught on fire and needed somewhere to stop, and suddenly the gas station said. You could stop here. Yeah, sounds fake, but okay. Um, not like he has an, a, a lot of choice because he's on fire. A lot of people naked in this movie. Just like a lot of people stripping. A lot of dudes stripping. An yeah, added much, bonus. Much more, much more male than female nudity in this movie. Not, I mean, not this that... movie. This movie has Jake Gyllenhaal, and they are not afraid to use him. Yeah, so he gets he gets pulled into the uh, monkey painting, never to be seen again. Nobody actually knows what has happened to uh, this guy. Uh, Josephina talks Morph into uh, going to the art showing for her ex boyfriend Ricky and uh, giving him a bad review because you know he's not good anyway. Of course, he would give him a bad review. Uh, he just wouldn't normally be going, so he should just. She just wants her to go and give him a bad review because Ricky is just such an asshole and he deserves it. To which Morph, Morph agrees, being ensorcelled as he is with uh, Josephina. And we, we learn through other people at this uh, next art exhibit that he's at that uh, Ricky has uh, gotten drunk and gone driving in his truck and crashed and he's in a coma and uh, everybody blames uh, Morph for him, being in a, for him driving drunk and being in a coma. Which, again, even if Morv is being corrupt and writing an intentionally bad review for the express purpose of hurting someone's career, I don't think it's fair to put that to that extent Ricky's actions at, on Morv's feet. Like, I mean, it's, a, it's a bad, it's a very bad thing he did, but he yeah. didn't make anybody I, drunk drive. No, yeah, exactly. No, he, he didn't make them do that. No. Um, and I feel like there's also this, this uh, undercurrent of Morph trying to be hard like everybody knows that he's very critical and like that moment where he talks about how he was going to or you know he 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 thought the show was okay but then he um gave the bad review and i feel like people have an expectation of him he knows he has this expectation of him to be a harsh critic um even when he is ensorcelled well after this happens uh, i think the issue there was that, like he would have given it a bad review if not for Josephina, like wanting him just there to trash it. Oh right, yeah. So it's like not 
Yeah, so it's like, because again, that was the thing. He's way more upset that he like compromised his vision, like his integrity as a critic, than yeah. he did. Yeah, crushing like, like again, like we even get, um, you know, he gave a bad review to Hobo Man, and we hear that now no one wants Hobo Man. It's not selling to put it in storage. Hope that storage line doesn't come back up again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but. Again, that's something where he says, like, I'm not your mouthpiece. Like, that was a piece of artwork that he legitimately did not enjoy, gave it his honest opinion, and now does not care at all what negative repercussions may happen to people because of that negative review that he does stand behind. He, he's only regretful about a negative review he can't stand behind. And this is also where we get the first of uh, Coco's many series of unfortunate events. Which is uh, Damrish's, the, the guy who runs Damrish's art collective comes charging into Redora's uh, uh, studio to yell at her about stealing uh, Damrish out from under him because they they won't last without him. Redora uh, tells him off and then fires Coco on the spot for letting this guy in as if Coco could have done anything from stopping this large man from coming in there to hassle her. Yeah, Coco this Danny Trejo motherfucker small. that comes yeah. in <clears throat> literally threatening. This guy could have been a Sons of Anarchy villain. And the idea that Nay Wheeler is just going to be a bouncer and stop him. <laughs> uh, again, also... I mean, we've seen we've seen Scott, uh, Scott Rudden in the news. So that level of just casual verbal abuse followed by dismissal. I, I feel for Coco because God at that level of, of assistant abuse isn't just insidious and omnipresent. Yeah, I mean, right. she then goes basically across the street to John Dundon and uh, applies for an opening at his place, which is uh, not quite for the same position, but he realizes that uh, she has been working for Redora and uh, she she uh, plays her cards pretty well and that she knows stuff about the D's collection that she probably shouldn't. And, uh, you know, he he makes an exception to go ahead and hire her. Um, yeah, this is this is a really great scene because John Dondon is about to just reject her based on age alone, which I'm like, John Dondon, how old are you? Like 28? Like whatever. You know, he's earlier we see John Dondon. Um, his ridiculous talking, suit with his graphic scarf. Not yeah, his cra- graphic tie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we had, we've already seen him in the presence of Pierce, seeing Pierce's one painting that he is the only thing that he can <laughs> muster uh other than his basketball court in his studio um falling apart and john dundon has no idea how to help him john dundon's whole thing as a as a guy running a museum is like they have great algorithms and they can help you you know capitalize more on making money and doing social media stuff for you and everything um, yeah, he's like the Mark Beeks. John Dondon, I feel like more than really any other character in this movie, expresses no true love for art at at all at any point. And he's so he he's about to reject Coco. And earlier I should mention that he confused a literal bag of garbage on the floor of <laughs> Pierce's apartment for art. John Dondon um, has this moment, this turning point with Coco as Coco's like, you're just gonna fire me or you're just not gonna you're just gonna reject me oh wait i have all this juicy goss and john dondon is like 
come into my office yes please and he's standing really close to her which is like not great but also you know she's certainly not blinking in the face of adversity there which john don don does not strike me as a particularly scary individual Um, yeah that mustache you mess with the john don you get don the john don 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 (laughs) <laughs> how much Don, how much Don Don could John Don Don John if John Don could John John Don? That's a good question. Oh boy. Thank uh, you, Velvet Buzzsaw. I sure hope no one is transcribing this episode. And if you are, I apologize so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so more importantly, we get uh, Gretchen is setting up her, her old museum to uh, put up a bunch of these D's that her... Uh, and her person she's repping has his bot and he's having some tax issues. So he needs to uh, display this stuff at the museum along with the sphere, which he also bought. And Morph is trying to uh, write his book about Dee's and goes to Dee's old workplace at the uh, Veteran Works Administration. The guy there is like, yeah, man, uh, this guy definitely killed a guy that used to work with us. They found him tied up and dead in a field, but nobody could prove it. I just love Morph. Like, coming into contact with the working class yeah whoa where he comes in he's like hi hello fellow kids and this guy works apparently in a steam factory he is just uh turning gears and making steam yeah like what is happening in this in this veterans hospital like what are they making is this the boiler room i don't know i think they're making uh 90s supernatural action tv shows down there just plastic sheeting and steam <laughs> it's the new line cinema factory sam what sam you... rockwell's rocking around down there somewhere uh recruiting people for the foot clan sam what uh any thoughts you had on our good friend uh john don 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 john don don yeah a lot of things are coming out of lights like i think the cat came out of a light earlier maybe it was just a really weird placement on the uh on that's the just a creepy cat he knows what he's doing <laughs> and he's a persian he's, he's a horror movie cat yeah this is so that's like the next scene because we find out at the end of this one the guy's like, tell that other guy not to come back around here asking any more questions either. Uh, and Morph's like, what other guy? And gives him a card for a, a PI. And we find out John Don Don has uh, hired this PI to look into these shady dealings around D's. And this guy I, is, I uh, this guy gives him the full breakdown on D's and how he tortured and killed his abusive dad and set him on fire while he was still alive. Spent a decade in an insane asylum where they tested drugs on inmates uh, and was was in the army for uh, for a tour and, uh, you know, then probably killed this dude at his uh, VWA job. So he has all the supervillain origins. I yes, every love season. when is- he goes to, like, when he's doing his research and Morph is just being like, I'm a detective, and he thinks he stumbled his way into a noir film. Yeah, he's, like, so excited, and then all of these fucking skinny puppy videos happen while they're talking about this Jacob's Ladder shit going on, while this dude's backstory just fell in a vat of everything. The remarkable thing about this scene with Morph to me, or Morph and the PI back-to-back, is that Morph has been investigating this guy for weeks, trying to figure out what's up with with visual D's 
This PI, as far as we know, has been working for like a day. He got hired by John Dundon after Coco was like, yeah, there's some shady shit going on here. And like, just like hands this dude a full brief of all this stuff he's learned, which is the entire life history of each of these. That's all that I'm saying, because I absolutely love the idea that Morif is just terrible at this and just going around like playing at detective and researcher. The one thing that that PI did have that Morph didn't was the file of his, uh, I guess, incarceration or his time in the hospital that Redora got to before Morph did and hid, but then Coco knew about and gave to the PI. Yeah. yeah. So that is a so that is a piece of information. Again, I do love when the I do love this brief little like noir mystery element <laughs> yeah and uh um it's also important to hire a professional like you know that's why yeah. we have professionals if you're talking about a graphic artist or a comic book writer or you know any number of other things you hire somebody who knows what they're doing you don't just half-ass it or yeah. not pay somebody yeah. you know yeah you gotta pay somebody like a pi so comic yeah artists this, are basically pis this pi hands all this info off to john don don and everybody else has left for the night john don don is going to go uh check out this display that he has of like a weird scene in a log cabin with home videos playing in the background a lot of um, these on a arts projector. are just weird 3d spaces that are like it's a convenience store but not because we're in an art gallery. Yeah, Redora's got Hello. one that's just like family watching TV at a, you know, at a table. There were yeah. so many of them. I'm just watching them being like, okay, someone's going to get trapped in one of these fucking things. Sam, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I think there's a lot of 3D installations because how else are you going to kill someone aside from dragging them into a painting, which we get through with the first guy? <laughs> Yeah, like, and I also, you know, the the being stuck in the painting is, I mean, that's that's a, a fun trope. But for this movie, I did enjoy the the more interactive elements, especially. I mean, Sphere, we saw that coming like a yeah. mile away. Oh yeah, but, I am disappointed we didn't get to see anyone die via whale sound booth. <laughs> almost, almost. But the uh, the installation art, the the cabin uh, tableau. Boy, John uh, Dun Dun's reactions in this scene are weird, because like. He walks into this cabin tableau and is trying to fix the thing and it just starts playing pictures of HLDs and his stuff instead. And John Lennon turns around and there's now like a fourth wall to this thing. He's stuck inside the cabin, can't get out. So what does he decide to do? Fix the light that's blinking. Cause yeah, it's bare hands. <laughs> yeah, cause like for me, I was like, oh, I'm getting the fuck out of that cabin one way or another. Like. <laughs> we might be sawing through a wall pretty soon but no yeah. he's like i'm gonna climb like, this you can't ladder be sawing, you can't be sawing through a wall in inconsistent lighting well that's the thing is that he didn't have anyone to look at and be like how did i get into this situation and then he would have been able to be out of there because he would have broke <laughs> he needs um, an anchor he needed to do like record scratch out i get into this mess and then that would buy him a solid hour to figure out what to do yeah, um, you might be wondering really how he got into art, then he would know about that. But yeah, that's my hot take. Every movie should begin in media res, uh, with a character about to be in some serious shit, and then freeze frames, and the character says, "You're probably wondering how I got into this mess." That's the perfect role for Coco. 
yeah. every single That's... every single thing like next Avengers <laughs> movie being like I'm Hawkeye you're probably wondering how I got into this Hawkeye mess and then Coco like I I would love to see a version of this film from Coco's perspective yeah I mean she's sort of the the real protagonist is here the body finder it's yeah. much more of a horror comedy from Coco's perspective, I think. <laughs> well, at a certain point, like there's a there's a point where she's just like, God damn it. But that's what makes it the horror comedy. It's just her going through these sequences of increasingly, from her perspective, insane and eccentric bosses who just keep dying one after the other. And weirdly. <laughs> yeah. And also just telling everybody everything, just spilling everybody's secrets constantly. Like, also, in this version, we're now getting the scenes of her mom being like, Coco, honey, how was work today? My third boss died. Yeah, fuck. (laughs) So John Dundon goes to climb this ladder and decides he's going to use his giant graphic tie to unscrew the light, at which point a scary hand reaches out of the darkness above and strangles him by his giant graphic tie. Yeah, I have questions. The tie he just took off, which is now suddenly around his neck again? I don't think he took it off. He... Pick, he, I think well, oh, okay. he, he untucked it. it. He untucked it and used it. It was still on yeah, his yeah, on right, his right. neck. And yeah. then the the hand grabbed the tie and then it, you know got that him. gave me some real host flashbacks. Yeah, it was death by Doctor Who tie. Um, <laughs> yeah, and of look, course, we all, poor, like deep down, we all know that's how we're all gonna go out. Death poor by Coco Doctor Who tie walks in with her coffee in the next morning and uh, finds finds John Don Don hanging there and spills the coffee everywhere. Um. I'm going to say this real quick. I have seen an exhibit just like the one that they had. I can't remember what the artist. This is, you know, my six years of arts college. Sorry, uh, professors. I can't remember the name of that artist, but I did walk through an exhibit that was basically like a garage that was a total, like a complete um, uh, facsimile of like a weird old garage with like lights like that that were... um, kind of flickering and there was a radio in the corner that was kind of buzzing and it was really fucking weird if i take it seriously enough is there anything that isn't fine art i mean apparently tattoos are fine art according to this movie because they you know that they also kill you but i I feel like emily what you're describing is a non-functional ikea (laughs) no this is this was a little this had more character than a non-functional ikea can i buy a gallery space and just like display a non-functioning kia like a Kia Serrano? <laughs> Probably. Like, it's art. Just put some holes in it. And it can be a joke because it's like. The holes represent the holes in my credit score trying to pay this thing off. Killed an auto. Please uh, buy my unusable, my undrivable Kia Serrano. I mean, I don't even want to go into postmodernism. <clears throat> this is why I did. This is why I did not do well on like all the serious literary classes as an English major. This is why I would take the short story classes that were all supposed to be like, and then the old man went down to the river in the pickup truck he worked on with his pa and stared out over his life. And I was like, I'm going to just do a bunch of fantasy and sci-fi shit and just just berate <laughs> you with genre stuff until you give me a decent grade out of <laughs> bewilderment. I can't write any more Neil Young lyrics for you. <laughs> so now we have... A funeral. Yeah. John Dundon's funeral is maybe one of the funnier scenes in the movie. I do want to get everyone's opinion 
on that coffin. What do we think about that coffin? Fine. It's a wood coffin. Sure. It was it was really orange. I mean, I got to be a little with more a little bit on that. That was an orange ass coffin. It was like it was I've seen orange or like light wood coffins before. I think it was a lighting issue, if anything. No, I know um, there's like race car beds. Can there be like race car coffins? Like, can I be buried yeah, in a race on a, car you, coffin? You go in a race and you die, and then you have a race car coffin. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what, what if it? What if it been in a kiss coffin? What if John Don Don had been buried in a kiss coffin? Um, that would be a co- totally different horror curse. If he was, I'm assuming, assuming you're talking about Gene Simmons. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Gene Simmons putting his likeness on anything and everything. It it could have had uh, flame decals on it. You open the coffin, it's Gene Simmons' mouth and just a very large tongue for you, for the, you know, body to lay on. Yeah. (laughs) Josephina seems to think it's in bad taste that Morph is still being a critic at the funeral, but I'm like, it's my is. job. I'm selective. Like, Critics got a critic. You can't turn it off. Like, yeah, you really can't. I. But it's also like he thinks anyone in this world is fair game. I think. I wrote that my notes here say morph. It's a funeral. Shut up. <laughs> like for real. Yeah, and, this, and then we go lovely from from this funeral to uh, morph being able to not being able to perform in bed with Josephina. And the painting oh, trying to hand. grab him. Yeah, my oh, eyes are down here, Morph. Stop eye fucking the painting. Yeah, the, the <sighs> grabby painting is easily the scariest thing that happens in, in this movie. Yeah, this this oh. whole scene with her just Joseph. like him having a whole total freak out and like saying that he's seeing things and her being like, mm, the sex was bad though. It's just it's if just you're if your domestic partner is ever having a mental health episode. And you're unsure how to act. Whatever you do, don't be like Josephina. Yeah, don't be like, but, but the fucking. Please fuck better. Uh, uh, enough with the trauma and the visual hallucinations. Have better sex. You called her a chip earlier. This is literally the same thing that happens with chip. Is like she starts having a hallucination during sex, and he just you know wants to keep going. She freaks out and runs off. In Morph's case, he's just like, help me, I'm seeing things. This is going poorly. And she's like, mm, I didn't I didn't get off, did you? No. Uh, is this when we find out that Gretchen has decided to sabotage the relationship as revenge for Morph not giving her tips on which pieces he's going to give good reviews to? Somewhere around here, yeah. I, I think um, it's shortly after this because first we get Redora being the real hero of this movie and like Pierce comes back to her and she's like Pierce let me tell you about my partner Polly who like OD'd uh, and this important insight she had about art you should go away and like go go to my go to my beachside cottage and like just make some shit just for yourself and get away from all of this uh, essentially saving his life in this movie. Yeah. I want a sequel to this movie that's a five-minute short of John Malkovich like 
when he gets back, just looking at his phone, seeing like 20 missed like voicemails <laughs> about all the murder. And he doesn't say anything. Like we can hear some of the voicemails, but it's really mostly just focusing on Malkovich's face as he just hears all these voice messages. Yeah. And that's it. That's the whole sequel. Gretchen just decides to bomb Morph's relationship. Sees Josefina hanging out with uh, Damrish. It's just like, oh yeah, uh, your relationship's over now. Good good luck with life, Morph. And we find out also that Coco is now working for Gretchen. Yeah. Did anyone else get a bit of like Gatsby or just like that? Like Oscar Wilde, these times where it's just like everyone's just dating everyone else at some point and none of it really matters. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's that's like definitely the scene thing where everybody is just like super incestuous and everybody's looking for a meaning in each other. That sounds healthy. Sam, did you have this isn't gonna be too probing. Did you know people that were like had their their uh incestuous little scene groups in uh graphic design college? Oh um I don't think so. Then again, like I was a person that like didn't live on campus and went home. So like I was as far removed from like the scene of my school as possible. That was probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, probably. Because there was all sorts of drama all the time forever. I mean, like art kids, like you have theater kids and then you have art kids that are like theater kids, but dirtier because they've got paint on them and like mineral spirits and stuff. You know, and if that's what you're into, if you don't mind the smell, that's fine. If you don't mind like making out over some hydrochloric acid, you know. We're talking chemistry in the chemistry lab. Oh, yeah. Well, this is the print studio where we had like hydrochloric, we'd, you know, dump our plates in the hydrochloric acid. Anyway. Making sparks in the shop class. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I I still feel like comics is like this sometimes, like there's where there's like comic scenes, like. LA and New York where like everybody knows each other and they're all buddies and spend time at each other's places and go go do stuff together in, in some cases and I'm like oh I'm the I'm the old man that lives lives in a completely different area that sees you guys once a year and is like oh so hold on who was dating who now and what's what's the horrible outcome of that yeah so this is also where Morph goes to the person who's been analyzing all the paintings and uh, discovers that Dee's painted a bunch of this stuff in his own blood. It's how he gets those great reds in the in the dark, in the black. Um, blood, blood becomes brown over time. Yeah. And degrades. But yeah, that's that's my real question about these. Is uh, even if it's magic killer blood paint? I I mean I don't know. It didn't work for Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, so. So this is this is the great this happens alongside the great Gretchen death scene. Gretchen is wandering around the museum by herself, checking out the uh, sphere and decides to stick her arm in. Her arm doesn't come back out. It, it rips it. a hold of it, rips it, and pulls it out. And we get this whole explanation from from Josephita's perspective of how this happened. Yeah, that the the installers and the security people just thought that this was part of the display, and then. <laughs> The school kids came into the museum for the morning and also thought it was part of the deal and tracked all through the blood and got Gretchen's blood all through the museum and their footprints until finally Coco came in with the coffee to do pub and found found her laying there missing an arm. I mean, so. it was an interactive. It was billed as an interactive exhibit. How could they have known? It was oh, a little, it was hands on. Yeah. And or hands feet. And yeah. Hands on, hands off. 
<laughs> that sphere need to be waxed a lot. Morph comes to Josephina's house looking for her to console him, telling her about asking her if she's heard about uh, uh, Gretchen getting killed, and uh, finds Damrish uh, naked cooking in her apartment, um, and and says the wonderful line: "The admiration I had for your work has completely evaporated." And then um, he's talking to Josephina like. They had something incredibly special. And then Josephine is like, I was never particularly obsessed. And then Damage in the background is like, damn. Devastating. Yeah. Like, Devastating. <laughs> and he, he oh, follows God. this up by going to the uh, wonderful sound exhibit that he's supposed to experience before anybody else can experience it. And he gets uh, locked in a weird room full of speakers. And uh, they start playing all of these like bits of his reviews crushing people, especially uh, Ricky uh, from you know earlier in the thing. And he is uh, crying and feeling persecuted and falling to his knees. And then the guy opens the door and is like, ah, sorry for the delay. And you know, it hasn't started yet. We'll, uh, we'll come back to it. And he says, oh, I heard voices. He says, no, it's, it displays all whale noises. <laughs> and was like, no, go ahead and start it. And then takes off running out of it as soon as the whale noises start. I wanted to hear those whale noises. You wanted to go into this exhibit and be surrounded by whale noises from the Mariana's I mean, Trench? Release the whale release the whale cut. Yeah, I want the whale cut of Velvet Buzzsaw. Wait, that sounds doesn't sound great. Where Moore finally starts putting it together that they've somehow been uh cursed by these paintings by Dee's was imbued with some sort of curse and everybody who's profited from them is going to die. Morph goes to confront Redora and tells her all of these theories he has about why everybody is dying and how they were supposed to get rid of the art and how they're all going to die. And uh, she delivers the, the classic line, all art is dangerous, Morph. I do love that line. It's such a good line. It's such a good line. And it's also, it's, it's a crazy line to follow up this dude talking crazy talk. Like, not to diminish Morph's trauma, but he's talking about the art murdering people. And which is also kind of difficult because Deez's art is not doing the actual murdering. It's the art around Deez's art that's doing the murdering. So it's basically Deez's art's like, you, murder. And then the other art's like, yes, I will murder. And, you know, it secretly wants to kill us, but it just usually doesn't have the ability to do so. Yeah, all it needs is um, an outsider uh, set of paintings with creepy eyeballs to be like, hey, um, you're a sphere full of holes and people are sticking their arms in you. I think you are full of potential and you need to reach that potential. What if Deez's art is critiquing the other art like Morph is critiquing the artists? Mind blown. I had a real, real similar deep thought where it's like, maybe the art world makes everything it touches cursed. <laughs> Just like this art makes I all the other art cursed. <laughs> For all Redora's playing it cool, she then immediately decides to sell off all of the D's art cheap and quick. Because she she apparently has is vibing with what Morph has said, um, even though you know she is out to make that buck. And then we have Damrish is just like obsessed with this painting in Josephina's house. He he finds out that she's sold it off and he's like, oh, I would have bought that. He's just been sitting there staring at it. And, and she's uh, like, you couldn't afford it, which is like, Jesus. And also she's like, it's bad. 
<laughs> don't like it. This um, is where, to me, the the is the art supernaturally good seems like it's most likely to be something concrete because, like, this is clearly putting him in some sort of trance or something. Like, the way he's acting, like, he's obsessed with it, then he immediately quits. Like, it, it just feels definitely like it's implying like it's doing something to his head. Yeah, he's just like, I need out of here. Um, and, you know, this is the second time that the art has cock-blocked Josefina. Yeah, but something he... about this art tells him that he needs to not have sex, but instead needs to go to a dive bar and go find his old buddy so that he can rejoin his art collective, which, uh, which it, it seems like is much more upsetting for Josefina than, than not having sex. Yeah, and then she gets all upset because she's like, uh, is my car okay? Um, in this fucking dive bar um and and uh yeah she is sort of jaguar outside oh yeah her her jaguar 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 Jaguar. her shaguar (laughs) but she she wishes right art keeps (laughs) art keeps it from being a shaguar art really is the cock block in this movie probably for the best like these artists deserve better and then danny trejo straight up like just hanging Yes, like fucking disses the shit out of her, um, and uh, and then she finds she that goes her for the, the royalty handshake. She offers her. Yeah, she does the royalty overhand, overhand as if he might take it and kiss it or and, something. I don't know. And yeah. he's just not into it. He's not putting up with it at all. He swigs his beer and raises his eyebrow, and uh, you know, Damrish meanwhile is like, I just. I just want the best for everybody. And then she goes outside to her shaguar and it turns out that it's being blocked by like an El Camino or something, or maybe something nicer than that. Maybe it's a Cadillac. It's a big black car. It might not even be real. might not even be like, just might be art design. Now art controlling hallucinations to kill at the right time. Yeah, because the the wall that's been tagged on um well we do get in the scene before she leaves uh in addition to her comments about what's the point of art if no one sees it we do also have uh josephina very explicitly criticize uh street art and kinds of art that wouldn't be considered acceptable in the high art spaces that she operates in yes thank you then immediately the art full of the wall full of graffiti turns into a museum in which the graffiti art is on display in the museum and she is drawn into this museum to you gotta uh, you gotta love that foreshadowing for thing you're gonna do in the very next scene (laughs) (laughs) the art is melting on the walls and this is probably my least favorite art death i don't know the rest of them are kind of like creepy and then unsettling graphic whatever this one, the art just crawls up her her body and then she becomes the painting, which I'm like, that's not, it's not like in the Matrix where Neo's like, he gets the the mirror go down his throat or whatever. Or like the, I don't know. She is flattened mid-scream into this wall. So yeah. like. The aftermath to me is very horrifying that she's trapped inside. It's not immediately clear whether she is still conscious in this wall or not. Right. Um, which is much more disturbing if she is, I think. I think it's- a, a weird art death only because it feels like really magical like ooh, she's stuck in the painting but like everyone else just like straight up dies yeah so it feels a bit like i don't know like disjointed from like how everything else is treated in this movie that's let me, how let i me, felt let me lean into one. it here and say 
What does it mean, guys? What is what it is saying? Art? But is it art? The, her being part of that wall mural is actually pretty cool. Like, it turns out cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it makes it made the mural way cooler. Like, I dig it. It's some yeah. nice street art. So good for her, I guess. Yeah. To me, it's like she's like got all like the paint pattern on her skin. I'm like, that's not a horror movie. You're just becoming an X-Man. I think now Morph is going nuts, and then Morph is now finally Morph is hired Coco. unlucky Coco, um, which is how you know he dies next because he hires Coco. Um, this is all Coco, and he's like, "Hey, Coco, can you go through? I'm gonna go drop some shit off at my uh, at my storage space. Can you then come tomorrow morning and go through all of my storage stuff and well, index it for me?" We do learn that, like, so Moore finds out kind of the truth about Deeds and that, you know, he was pretty explicit, like, I don't want this anymore. So he really tries to put that De- or that Deeds' last wish was that his art be destroyed and never displayed. So uh, Morph decides that he's going to try his best to put the genie back in the bottle. He's going to board up and lock away all of his photos. And he also puts out an article really saying that the paintings are full of vengeful spirits that want yeah. to be displayed. Again, uh, I don't see why this would deter anyone from wanting to buy these paintings. Yeah, again. Yeah, right? driving haunted doll trade on eBay. Right? These paintings are not just made by a dude that killed his dad. They are also haunted and will kill people. I mean... Like, I feel like if Roger Ebert in the 90s had been like, this VHS is Full of ghouls and spirits, we all would have been like, "I want the ghoul and spirit VHS." Yeah, this is also where we find out that uh, Morph's ex Ed had been on Redora's payroll and was like, tell it, informing her of what he liked before his articles came out. And so that's why they always seem to be on the same page. So I was like, "Oh, good for Ed. He deserves <laughs> it for putting up with Morph." <laughs> Yeah, that's that's where I'm at I, with Ed. I definitely feel like that would have been hit harder if Ed was a character. Other than, but rather than a butt. It is only, <laughs> I mean, really, the whole reason Gretchen accuses him of like, or like not even accuses him, but like tries to get him to like sell her paintings before he puts out like a good review is because the fact that like Redora would be that in his head would you know, he's always like, oh, we're vibing. We're on the same wavelength. Like, at a certain point, it becomes what point does he, does Morph have responsibility to just the degree to which Redora is using him? And it being very, as Gretchen shows, very clear to everyone but himself. So he's in the uh, the storage facility that has some weird corners. Like, who got that really shitty, tiny, triangular cheese slice all storage storage unit. facilities are spooky. Well, yes. Stand by that. They're yes. This one just has some weird art. Especially the animatronic spin-off Chucky storage. Yeah. <laughs> and these fucking and hobo Animatroni- animatronics and storage lockers. I didn't know that that was two things that I don't want to ever see combined, but thanks to this movie. Yeah, and you know, when the Chucky doll is the size of a, an adult human. Yeah. That's not great. It's chasing more uh, yelling. I once built a railroad. Yeah. Do you ever feel invisible? Do you ever feel invisible? So Mort's kind of, <laughs> Morph's last words are, I I get it, I understand. 
do you think that's him talking about like deeds and trying to be like I, he understands deeds is like curse or wishes and is pleading like because he's trying to make it right or do you think it's that in his dying moments he's like oh i get hobo man the art piece i get why this is good art now that like i gave it a bad review but i see as as it is now killing me i now understand the appeal see totally the way i read it was that morph understands that like as this piece of art he has to die like because like for this for this to be complete, this, you know, art of Deez's, this thing has to kill him. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's very open to interpretation. You, you got thoughts on that one, Sam? I would have to go with, I think he's talking about Deez only because I don't know how Hobo Man killing him would have anything to do with Hobo Man. Yeah, I think it has more to do with the with the Deez art. Although if the Hobo Man has the strength to snap a person's neck that is some serious craftsmanship and that deserves some accolades i think i don't know how it is as an art piece but as a feat of engineering wow yeah i mean it hobo man and and sphere i can see in uh an exhibit i would watch the shit out of that superhero movie hobo man hobo man hobo man and the sphere The sequel to uh, Hobo Man V Sphere, Hyper Sphere, Dawn of Art, <laughs> Dawn of Art. I appreciate that Hobo Man's last words in this are "I cannot save you" before he <laughs> kills him at the will of Jesus Art. Fuck. I mean, yeah. Fuck. I mean, we know Hobo Man, but you know, I we appreciate your right commentary criticizing the critic. There's a lot of meta going on. You know, I see what you did there, etc. But, but yeah, Hobo Man and Sphere, like once I, I was like, okay, this movie is a horror movie. Okay, that's creepy. Okay, that's creepy. Those things are definitely going to be killing people later, later, especially with Hobo Man's like spooky eyes. Um, yeah, you got to be that strong to build a railroad. That's what I'm saying. Maybe it's a commentary on automation and how it drives people out of work. What if John Henry was the machine? Morph dies. He understands and Coco finds him and has the best moment where she's like, she screams again and she's just like, God damn it. Coco has finally had it. Done with LA. She's going back to Michigan. Redora, meanwhile, survives the the bloody night, uh, just barely avoiding getting a uh, large piece of, of outdoor art dropped on her. Yeah, she gets um, a like a giant metal slab, almost kills her like in Beetlejuice. I, I was going to um, say, like, once we started getting sculptures, I'm like, ooh, if we get full on Beetlejuice claymation moving sculptures. This is just <laughs> like it fell. And, you know, much like the, the Richard Serra uh, story, you know, where his, I think it was his, his assistant that had a giant piece of metal fall on them and they were crushed. And to Redorna's credit, she figures that shit out. She figures out that the art is coming to life and killing people. And she is like, I'm getting rid of all of my art. I want everything out of my house. Hires guys to come handle it for her. Not just the D stuff, all of the art. She knows what's up. And so she is uh, sitting happily outdoors with her her cat. And it uh, turns into the like an exact copy of the image from the, the painting that we saw earlier. And that was uh, such a creepy note, recreating the painting. Yeah. yeah. I feel like when I Just saw like- that that cat was the same type of cat that she has, I was like, Oh, this is going to be a thing. 
Um, yeah. To me, that would have been such a foreboding ending because recreating the painting is like, oh, you can get rid of all your art, but you can't escape art. No one can escape art. Like, you can't yeah. escape what's coming. Like, if you get rid of that painting, that painting, like, the that image will find another way to exist. Yeah, like, that's... To me, like, that level of persistence is just, oh. But then again, it's like, I also feel from a straight-up horror kill, like, if you're going with the concept of killer art yeah i mean you got to do some tattoos you got to do a gruesome tattoo murder i wasn't a fan of the tattoo murder i thought it was goofy like compared to compared to the other stuff that happened i thought it was good like if i don't know like her cat ate her or something like i would have been more um i think it would have been okay if we started seeing like the tattoo spinning and then we see like her face and blood shooting out i think it's once we have the long close-up on it boring a perfectly circular hole like into her shoulder neck it got it was it was a little uh was a little too much of a detail i was surprised yeah. it didn't go more one direction or the other like either you just see the thing start to spin and it cuts away or you see it fully cleave off her head but her velvet buzzsaw tattoo starts to buzzsaw through her she screams in horror. Um, and we we go back to Coco, who is leaving fucking town. She is packing yeah. bags. She is going back to Michigan. Um, She's got Deez's cat. And she is uh, she passes some dudes on the side of the street that are uh, selling Dee's art that they don't even know is Dee's art because they, they found the boxes that were uh, lost when uh, What's-His-Face got killed early on. Yeah, Bryson. Uh, Bryson. They're just yeah. selling it for five dollars to be people who just like the way it looks. Yeah, it's got a real, uh, it's got a real dark side feeling to it. The very, it's very art is like you well, can't, I f- you can't I feel escape like it. Art is. Two, I feel like there's two interpretations. I feel like there's the interpretation of like the curse lives on, like the yeah. monster lives, and then there's like oh now it's uh, a photo. Now it's people who are like barely any money at all going entirely to people who have no pretension no sense of like getting any like greed out of it just see it like it want to be want to look at it and hopefully they don't have anything um to baroque at their uh place of residence we're gonna take that art and it is like we do end on an image of like a way more positive one of his paintings than we've seen before with uh you know like a sunrise or a sunset focus as opposed to just like oh a child is about to have violence done to them like all the others (laughs) i have definitely interpreted the ending as like more positive even so much just to say like i don't think these paintings actually gonna kill anyone that buys them through this dude who just is selling them for five bucks because at that point they're not quote-unquote like fine art anymore so like perhaps they've lost their weird magical powers to like kill pretentious because i think it really was about it wasn't the again just going back to this it wasn't a ghost killing for the sake of killing this was someone who wanted to be left the fuck alone Mm -hmm. and wanted to get back at people who were violating his wishes and working to undo the anonymity like the paintings yeah. may be out there but 
none of them know who he who Vetral is or was or any of his story. They just know, oh, that's a neat painting. Sure, I'll pay five dollars mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, yeah. They were the all, everyone who suffered in the film exploited him and his le- his legacy, um, which is I think part of that that moral. Um, yeah. And then the last thing we see is John Malkovich just making patterns in the sand at the uh, um, during his gay stay at the beach house. He's so happy. I'm, yeah. I'm so happy for him. You don't see happy Malkovich very often, and it's nice. <laughs> First this... of all, let's, uh, I guess, do we think this movie is feminist? Not particularly. I mean, I, I mean, I think there's, again, in so far as like, hey, women characters are as complex, three-dimensional, and as shitty and as awful as the male characters. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Um, we do have a good range of, of um, women in the movie. Yeah. We do have a good range of character types of women. This movie um, definitely passes the Bechdel test. Absolutely. Unless um, you're talking about art. <laughs> and the art is cock-blocking everybody. So the art could be toxically masculine. I don't. I, I think we're okay. I think particularly this this movie has some really interesting female characters who are uh, not defined and often completely untethered from the male characters. I mean, I think Redora in particular is, you know, she's, she's the boss in this movie. Oh, she's um, amazing. And again, Renee Russo is so, so good in this movie. Yeah. I think, you know, she's, she's really the one pulling most of the strings in this and, and making most of the choices. She's a shrewd dealer and, um, you know, is the character with sort of the most implied history with her, you know, velvet buzzsaw and her former partner and um, all these, you know, punk rock vibes that apparently she had early on has uh, since grown out of and into this, you know, horrible monster of an art dealer that we see in this. Um, and yeah, and both Josephine and Gretchen are great. And Coco is unfortunate, but, you know, for the most part, a fully realized character. Yeah, I mean... It- <laughs> also not a victim either she she takes control of the situation however she can but you know if she's a victim of anything it's circumstance and um, she does the thing that nobody ever does in horror movies which is leave yeah yeah i mean it takes five people dying but you know i mean at that goddamn it moment i'm with her <laughs> yeah this is like this is the third boss's body she's found in you know almost as many days yeah, and I'd be like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, what do we think about the the like the racial representation in this? We have both Damrish and Josephina as you know characters of color, where I, I think represent pretty well. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's good representation in this movie. I don't think it's saying anything particularly about race, but I think there's a like I said, a good you know selection of uh, characters of color with different viewpoints, perspectives, roles in the story. And uh, yeah, solid representation, I think. Yeah, I think Damrish is, is much more interesting as far as like the role of race and things because he is sort of, you know, coming from a collective. He's an outsider. He's a, a street artist. He, you know, is in it for the love of the game, as it were, rather than, you know, the the cash and gets sort like of seduced into of like, this. And um, there's this movie saying a lot about class. So I feel yeah. like the racial elements are probably to a degree tied into how that's just in 
parent to class in America. Yeah. This movie definitely has a lot to say about class. Yeah, with all everything kind of folded up together. What, the, what um, does it want to say about class? Mostly just that the hyper rich suck. Yeah, the, the rich devour everything and only leave the crumbs behind. The uh, yeah, fine art. The fine art market is a scam in, in order to perpetuate classism. Yeah, I think, it's yeah, really yeah, really nice uh, bit you wrote here, Jeremy. But art is class marker versus art for the love of art. Um, you know, the, the everybody who is involved in the market as, aspect of the art, as opposed to the creation of that art, uh, are the ones that suffer um, because they're trying to exploit this dead outsider artist. Uh, what do you think about the the class? Do, do you have any uh, anything particular about the classism, Sam, that you want to share? Um, I, I think it like nails it. it. It's very funny to watch this movie and like you have a story um, like the that I talked about NFTs at the start of this. The uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat uh, uh, one, where his work was going to be sold as an NFT, and then the buyer would have the option to destroy it. Like that's what we're getting at. That was wild. Like this is this is the same vibe that this movie has. Is like people that are like selling and buying, and trading art are kind of creating the wealth. Like it has it's so removed from yeah. the art itself. And that's what I'm you waiting. know. NFTs are in now in the present. Yeah. I'm waiting for someone to sell an NFT of a gender reveal forest fire. And then reality's just gonna fucking fold in on itself. <laughs> it's the most 2021. Uh, yeah, that's occurrence. that's the post post postmodern. Um yeah, yeah I, there I is think it's Go ahead. It's not entirely clear in the movie whether the artists survive because they are artists or they survive because they get the fuck out of this place. Like, they leave the market and they go do art. And, like, they're the only ones other than Coco who also gets out uh, who survive. Um, you know, this this uh, slaughter of the, the actual, you know, people in the market itself. I think yeah. they totally had a, a character... Uh, be an artist that like sold out if they wanted to show them in a negative light but they just don't have a character like that in this movie all the artists are kind of yeah we're going to remove ourselves from this uh, world at the end of the movie yeah and what's interesting is that the art in the movie there's not really much focus on what the art really means or does other than like it being a vehicle for like spooky ghost murder. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's so much about the art market that you have made, like, I don't know if I'd call John Don Don on, on a, a protagonist, but you know, you have an art dealer mistaking a pile of garbage in a trash bag on the floor for a, a creation. Um, you know, you have people mistaking a dead body on the, uh, at the base of the sphere for part of the exhibit. Um, so you get this idea that these people are just making this shit up, um, which is a big part of the, uh, um, the lie of the, the fine art market, um, and part of the toxicity of the classism therein. Um, because like a lot of, like the economy, this economy, you know, there's a lot of made up shit that people just have to believe in, um, in order for it to work. Um, I mean, I, I, I do want to point out, I think we said 
no, none of the artists die. I do want to point out Bryson is an artist too, you know. <laughs> yeah, but okay. Bryson sucks. Yeah, Fuck he does him. suck. I I under I hear you, but as a counterpoint, may I offer? Fuck Bryson. Yeah, I think it's less than than Bryson. It's the yeah, I think it's less that the artists are artists, but they're also like in, in um interested in making genuine art. They're they're interested in creation. Where Bryson Bryson is trying to like rip shit off. Yeah, or and Bryson like, has if Bryson is pursuing an art like art, it is purely to uh, address and mask his glaring like insecurity, like into like, like insecurities and inferiority complex. Yeah, some some serial uh, to a hippo once. Like Bryson and <laughs> Pierce don't have to. Bryson and Pierce don't have to tell. Bryson, Pierce and and Dar- and Damrish don't have to tell anyone that they're artists. Bryson was killed. He was absorbed by the art, and then Hobo Man was uh, moving around by itself. Bryson possessed Hobo Man, and that's how Hobo Man was able to kill Morph. Because not only does the D's art uh, make other art kill you, but then you become a slave to the art. Art buys you. I don't know what I don't know what to do with that, that theory. In That's Russia, art, man. Art buys you. In Soviet Russia, I'd buy that for a dollar. Give me an NFT of it. Yeah, there you go. All right. Do we have anything of interest to say about uh, mental illness, mental health, physical disability? Uh, just that Josephina is fucking terrible at people dealing with mental health episodes and don't be a Josephina. Yeah. Also, they deal quite a bit with uh, alcoholism when it comes to uh, it's not exactly played for laughs, um, but like it is played very much on that, like insecurity that dry, artists have of it's like played for dry comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Where she says, like, I've started drinking again. She's like, congratulations. <laughs> like in that very like wry tone yeah well it's definitely that uh aspect of the toxic art community where they're like you can only be a good artist if you're suffering yes right? to anyone listening that uh don't suffer for your art yeah no don't and that's not true art that, you don't have to suffer what Life what ben says is true enough. it's not true that you have to suffer for your art listen to ben yeah, they have a bunch of Eisners that I gave them. <laughs> it's true. Just make other people suffer for your art. Yeah. Like, what? I mean, it depends on the people. Uh, so let's. We've talked about this a little bit, but did we have anything else we wanted to add on the LGBTQIA representation in this film? I did enjoy that Morph's uh, partnership was not like super fetishized or super like tokenized. You know, it was. It was. Uh, um, it felt like natural part of his character. It didn't feel the need you know? to explain bisexuality in this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, was with no, a guy, um, now he's with a girl. Yeah, you know, there was no scenes of people asking, oh, what does that mean? There was nobody, not even like character like Gretchen, like making fun of him for it. Like, the movie never seeks to have to explain nor justify the nature of Morph's queerness. Like, Mm -hmm. he is bi. The movie gives you every single indication of that being the case. And it's not interested in holding your hand or walking you through it. It has a whole other story to tell that just so happens to have a bi protagonist. Sam, anything to add to that? 
No, I think it was it was nice. It just it's just there and it's part of the story. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely good. not the crazy by uh representation that we have in uh Hellbent. Oh boy. Yeah, no, I mean like this isn't we don't have the cheating bisexual trope here. We don't have the uh, always like, you know, unsatisfied with one harder like bisexual. Like there are like re- bisexual tropes and stereotypes that this movie does not fall into. So again, like I'm, you know, for as much as I before was premonitioning possible future tropes, uh, that is not an actual criticism, and I was, and I, re- I really like the queer representation in this movie. Yeah, there's also an implication that you know, uh, Redora is either gay or bi. She's not with a partner during the movie, but you know, her, uh, her previous partner Polly was female. Um, we don't know what her, what her deal is now, but you know, it's again not really commented on. It's just there. So is this movie worth seeing? Oh my god, yeah. Oh, I love this movie. This was such a good time. Yeah, this one this one was one I brought to the table because I definitely watched this back in October when I was doing the whole uh, run through a whole bunch of horror movies and uh, have been waiting at some point to watch it with other people so I can talk about it because this is immediately one that I was like, I have things to say. I have thoughts. <laughs> oh my god, right? Uh, what about you, Sam? Would you recommend this to people? Oh, definitely. Uh, Like I said, I saw this movie when it came out in 2019, and I went in with a very different expectation of what it was. Um, And I was like lukewarm on it after seeing it the first time, but watching it a second time, like I wouldn't, I I definitely consider this movie a comedy horror. Like there are hilarious moments in it, and like it makes it really great. Like it has good commentary on art and the art scene, but I think it's like, just hands down a very funny movie. I would recommend it based on that alone. <laughs> yeah, there's so many lines in this that are delivered as like, this is deadly serious to me, the character, and like, <laughs> My, are I, hilarious. Yeah. Hall yelling at Javi Diggs is one of the funniest things I've seen. <laughs> but, you know, when we did our episode on bad hair, we spent a lot of time talking how the movie's commentary on the entertainment industry and race in the entertainment industry didn't mesh with the horror. It felt like suddenly like a different movie had invaded this other non-horror movie. I feel like Velvet Buzzsaw did uh, a much better, much more elegant job keeping its themes about art married to the horror plot and tone and keeping it all both of them feeding each other instead of clashing i don't think it's it tried to say anything quite so like uh racially charged or profound yeah. as um bad trying hair to add maybe to the yeah. yeah i think trying to add the horror with both race and entertainment industry might have been biting off a, a little more than it could chew I think it was a very apt critique on the art market and the art world. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of stuff that a lot of people could say. I thought it was creative in terms of how kind of had the art go after people. Because uh, usually, you know, I've seen I've seen the person trapped in the painting. The way that this movie um, treated the art, I thought was pretty interesting. Um, 
And I would definitely recommend it for people who have, who are either interested in um, art world parody or have been in the art world and, you know, um, want to see a lot of pretentious assholes meet their uh, timely end. Absolutely. Uh, now, do we have any uh, recommendations for people that enjoyed this movie that they should go check out next? Sam? Um, oh, I'm, I'm one of the worst people to ask for like names of anything, so I can't think of anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the same all around here. It's all good. <laughs> I have to write so, a whole list ahead of time. So I, would, for me. I would definitely recommend... Uh, the last collaboration between Gilroy Gyllenhaal and Russo of Nightcrawler. It's yeah. not a horror movie, but it is very much a disturbing movie. Uh, that's, again, all of the this director and both of those actors and the lead roles uh, firing on all cylinders. Like, nice. in, they're just fantastic. And I guess if you want to see some more high art uh, parody, I would recommend uh, It's Always Sunny. Uh, D made a smut film, which features the sequence where uh, Danny DeVito as Frank Reynolds becomes Ongo Gablogian art critic. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, what you got, Emily? If you want to see spooky art killing people, The Cell, which is more of a, a murder mystery with like a weird VR element, but all of the weird VR is uh, art pieces killing people and being spooky. Fun one that has a lot of references to fine art. If you want something that's just about the fine art industry without the supernatural horror element and just, you know, talking about just how vicious classism can be in fine art, the movie Basquiat. Uh, is really really good and full of amazing actors you've got david bowie dennis hopper fucking christopher walken's in that movie gary oldman's in that movie everyone's in that fucking movie there's a book by charles delant that's sort of a, a mythological horror kind of uh urban fantasy called memory and dream which is about um paintings that come to life and do shit um and then if you want something spooky and meta house of leaves a novel who doesn't want something spooky and meta i would also uh i would also recommend if you like this definitely check out nightcrawler uh again a lot of the same folks doing great stuff dan gilroy also wrote but did not direct the fall uh which is a real creepy art piece like it's a difficult thing to describe, but it has Lee Pace in it. So, you know, that's always a good uh, a good thing. The director is to sell. On a similar note, uh, if you're looking for something with a, a little bit of this bite that is completely unrelated, but also stars Jake Gyllenhaal, one of his earliest leading roles, Donnie Darko is uh, a movie that's worth watching. I would see if you can find the version with all of the stuff they left on the cutting room floor at the director's cut because it uh, makes more sense that way. Because um, <laughs> the original cut is a little nonsensical. But they put stuff back in and you're like, oh, so that's what we were doing here. But yeah, Donnie Darko, uh, equally if not more weird than Velvet Buzzsaw. And uh, you know, if you haven't already seen it, it's definitely, uh, it's not just good, it's a you know, cultural touchstone at this point to some extent. A Nadi's cultural touchstone. <laughs> um, all right, cool. And uh, that that does it. So while we wrap this up, why don't we everybody let everyone know where they can find you online? Sam, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Sam Beck Draws and on Instagram also at Sam Beck Draws. Awesome. And Emily? Um, I'm on Twitter at Megamoth. Uh, Instagram, Mega underscore Moth. 
on the internet megamoth.net and patreon.com slash megamoth also you can find princeless where you ever you can find good shit (laughs) 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 bookshop.org comiXology your local independent bookstore okay and uh ben where can people find you online you can find me at at ben the con uh links to my work physical and digital at benconcomics.com renegade rule uh by myself rachel silverstein with art and cover by our wonderful guest sam beck uh thank you again sam so much for coming on for joining us uh is out in stores now and you can pre-order uh my upcoming graphic novel with georgio brooks uh immortals phoenix rising from great beginnings out from dark horse comics this september Fantastic. And uh, again, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58, uh, on my website at jeremywhitley.com. And you can uh, buy any of uh, my comics, including Princeless, Raven, the Pirate Princess, School for Extraterrestrial Girls, uh, the second volume of which is available for pre-order right now. And uh, you won't be able to see the, the previews of that for free comic book day. Uh, coming up pretty soon as for the podcast progressively horrified is on patreon.com slash progressively horrified we should note we recently made some changes to this so for just five bucks you can jump on there and get all of our extra content as well so you can listen to all of our uh, progressively furious episodes where we talk about the fast and the furious series uh, which are long and fun and rambly and uh, you know the most the most fun you can have for five dollars i'll i'll go on Go out on uh, let me say that. We're also on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod. Uh, we're on uh, our website is progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and uh, we would love for you to please subscribe, rate, review this wherever you get this podcast. Uh, help us reach new new people, new audiences out there. Uh, share it with your friends if you're enjoying what we're doing. Um, I do want to thank you, Sam, so much again for joining us today. It was so much fun to have you on here. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. Great being here. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much. And if you haven't already bought it or pre-ordered it, absolutely go get a copy of Renegade Rule. You won't regret it. Uh, it is an incredible graphic novel uh, made by these two folks and Rachel Silverstein. Um, and you uh-huh. will, uh, if, if you love the show, uh, you will love that book. And it is you are too kind. Yeah. Yes, it is. Because Sam <laughs> is amazing. And uh, in the meantime, uh, we will see you next week. So stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode starred Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, and Sam Beck. All opinions are expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06, as in provided royalty-free by Pixabay. Support us on Patreon, or contact us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod, or email us at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.